if you've got your Bibles, you can open in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and just sit there for a minute, and we'll continue in our discipleship series. But discipleship, being with Jesus, is the first part of this, and that's relational. If you don't actually encounter and know Jesus, um, the rest of it's all just religion. So that's why week one was being with Jesus, meeting Jesus, knowing, walking with Jesus constantly. If you don't actually have a real vital relationship with Jesus, you've only got religion, and that's excessively boring and tedious, actually wears you down. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it wears you down. Stay in love with Jesus, stay connected to Jesus, being with Jesus, and that requires time, I guess. Like, um, I love my wife, she's in the kids' ministry today. But if I never spend any time with her, you know, it will probably cause some issues, right? <laughs> I'll leave that one there. <laughs> Week two is becoming like Jesus, which is a transformation. One is being with Jesus, but becoming like Jesus. How do we actually change to become like Jesus? And that's the difficult job we have this morning. And then doing what Jesus did is action, the result of us knowing and being with Jesus and transformation always leads us into behaving differently. My sister this morning is becoming an Australian citizen on Australia Day. Happy Australia Day, everyone. She's actually right now being uh, in the ceremony. I told her not to object and don't yell out anything. Just say yes, because we're not sure they're going to let you in. And we just so don't cause a, don't cause any problems. But when you when you become an Australian citizen, I became one many years ago now, um, there's kind of a process, right? You, you, you're not Australian, and you, the first thing you do is you probably move to Australia and spend time here, start to learn what Australia is like. But at some point, you decide that uh, Aussie's pretty good. I really like this place. We're gonna, I'd love to become a citizen. And you sign up to join in. You, you fill out the forms. Australians love forms. If you, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but there's always a form for something. And you fill out those forms, and you sign up. And that's what my sister's done. But this morning, she goes from a transition from not being an Australian to being an Australian. She will, as of probably around about now, or in a few an hours' time, she will actually be an Aussie. And then from that moment, she has a, a more journey ahead of her in becoming transitioning into an actual Aussie, right? So it's Australia Day. She probably has to go have a beer today um, as part of the development, part of the transition. <laughs> she has to, you know, I, well, <laughs> be careful what, what you say and what you don't say. But she will become more and more an Aussie. Officially, she is one. She got the passport. But she will transition into becoming more and more Australian, as I think I have uh, over the years. I've been here 21 years. I've been here as long as I was in the country I grew up in. Um, and I just get abused wherever I go because when I'm in South Africa, they're like, what's with your Australian accent? When I'm with the Aussies, they're like, what accent? What's that weird accent you got? So I'm just confused and don't know where I come from. Luckily, I got Jesus. Um, so this morning, we wrestle through this, this question, how does transition actually occur? How do we become more like Jesus? Please tell me, that was a question, if you have asked, I'd like to. And so we wrestle with this question this morning. You know, um, there's a few things I might throw out. Dependence on God is one of them. Meeting Jesus helps us transition. I think there's desire to change, desire to become more like Jesus. There's the pursuit of it and giving time to it. All those things help. One of the things, I don't know if you know, an organization called the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a great record on transition. I think 
Second, probably only to the church, people's lives have been changed incredibly by what they do. And their number one rule, the only rule for joining, if you want to become a member of AA, the only thing you have to agree to is that you have to admit that you have a problem with alcohol. That's the joining criteria. So this, this is a great organization. They've, they've brought about wonderful change in so many people's lives. But the first thing is to admit that I need to transition. I need to change. Something has to change in me. So it's very interesting. It's a very interesting read, their 12-step process, but we won't, we won't go there. But, so there's lots of things which begin to trans, which can transition us and change us. And let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll start to look at a biblical perspective on change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, reads like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. To believe on Jesus is to become a new creation. You cannot do, you cannot do that by yourself. You have to have your eyes opened. You have to see God. You have to actually meet Jesus. And when you do... You are, the Bible says, you are a new creation. The old dies and you are made alive. You are made alive again in Jesus. The first part of transition from a biblical perspective is that you encounter the person of Jesus who makes you new. You were once dead, the Bible says. Dead means, you know, normally not breathing, not, no heartbeat, no nothing. Physically, you're alive, but actually your spirit, the Bible says, is dead. And until you know Jesus and believe on the Lord Jesus, you, are, you cannot be made alive again without, apart from the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus and the calling of God. And so the very fast, first part of, of actually transitioning is to meet Jesus. It says, the old has passed away, and behold, you are a new creation. It says, the new has come. It says, all of this is where? Is from God. Not from me, not from the works I did, not from, you know, en- enough work, but from God. It comes from God. And it is through Christ, it says. The first part of transitioning, change, is meeting Jesus. So if you've met Jesus this morning, congratulations, you have begun to change. You are a new creation. Like Michaela, this morning she gets her Aussie passport. Yesterday she was not an Aussie. Today she is a new creation. (laughs) She's an Australian. Legally, she becomes an Australian today. When you met Jesus, something in you changed. You were made alive again. That is amazing. How does transition occur? Firstly, by believing on Jesus. You are made alive and made new. Mark spoke on this last week when he preached about being with Jesus, how you are in the vine. Jesus is the source of all life, and once you are in the vine, that's when you have life. You are being with Jesus. Jesus has come into your life and you are with Jesus in the vine. And it is through Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you're still in Corinthians, just turn back a few pages and it says, but when anyone turns to the Lord, which is what we just spoke about, becomes a new creation, turns to Jesus, the veil is removed. You cannot see Jesus until the veil is removed. Um, I don't know if you've seen your friends. I know before you meet Jesus, it kind of seems all blurry, right? Have you ever looked through a veil? I didn't. I, I, when I got married, I wasn't wearing a veil. 
But when you look through a veil, everything's like, you can't really see things. And I think before you've encountered Jesus, you cannot see. It's like there's a blindness. There's, you cannot see clearly. When you encounter Jesus, the veil is removed and you can behold Jesus for the first time. If you have not encountered Jesus, it's because there's still a veil over your heart. That's why it doesn't make sense. That's why it seems something in you is wrestling, but you can't see it. When you encounter Jesus, the veil is removed, Paul says. And verse 17 says, For the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Um, you don't see like a, a body. You may encounter Jesus like that. I know people who have. But the God is spirit, and something changes us on the inside. And where that spirit of God is, there is freedom. You move from death to life. You come into freedom. You come into wholeness. And it says there, and we, talking about all those who have believed in Jesus, with unveiled faces, now we see clearly, now we see Jesus clearly, it says we are beholding His glory, the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed into the same image that we see from one degree of glory to another, and this comes from the Lord. And so the second part of transitioning, one is we, we meet Jesus and we are changed. The second way is that we behold Jesus. Paul says, we who've met Jesus, we who have turned to the Lord already, now we get to, with unveiled faces, we can see clearly. We can actually see who Jesus is now. So now what we get to do is we get to behold Him. We get to look upon Jesus and see how glorious He is. It says, we with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. We behold Jesus. The veil is removed. And by beholding Jesus, it says, we are being transformed into His image. And so how do we transition? We behold Jesus. I, don't, I wonder if we, if we do behold Jesus. You know, what you behold is what you become. What you look to, what you, do, what you honor and, and behold. If you behold something, it seems like an old term, right? Do you know what that means, to behold something? It means you put it center, you look at it, you, you love it, you constantly, it's in your thoughts. You, meditation is happening all the time, by the way. It's not something you're going to do. You're, you are meditating on things. Your heart is constantly longing for things, constantly. You are beholding something all the time. And that's going on all the time. So we might be beholden, you might be meditating upon things. You might be beholding something, like if you behold unforgiveness in your heart, what does that lead to? I don't know if you've ever noticed, people who hold unforgiveness become more and more bitter. Have you ever noticed that? That's why God says, behold Jesus. We behold with unfailed faces Jesus, and then we're transformed. If you behold unforgiveness, you are transformed slowly into more and more of a bitter person. That's how beholding works. And so that's how, for, if you behold pleasure as your greatest thing slowly, I don't know if you notice, people who pursue pleasure seem to get more and more empty. They become like, it's like there's more and more desire for pleasure, and slowly they become more and more empty because they're beholding that as the ultimate thing. And you might not even think it's the ultimate thing. It's just your heart wanders there constantly. You're meditating on it. You behold it constantly. Comfort. Those who pursue and behold comfort, often, often things just become dull and meaningless. Constantly seeking comfort, no hardship, no, no, no disruption, and slowly you be, things become more and more meaningless. That's what you behold, you become, it, it has an effect on you. Wealth, those, I don't know if you've ever noticed that those who pursue wealth seem to become more and more greedy. All of these things, you don't have to behold them so they shape you. I think, you know, you can, you can have money. I have a job. I have money. I pay my rent and stuff like that. 
It's not that, that the money's wrong, but when you behold it, you become more and more greedy. All these things are good, but when you behold them, they shape you. Independence. You know, people who want to be themselves, oh, I'm a self-made man, or I can do everything myself. I have one of my children uh, who's like that, probably more than one. <laughs> but <laughs> they just want to do everything by themselves. But what happens is you become, I don't know if you've noticed, independent people become more and more lonely. You behold and behold and independent. I want to do that. And you, you become more and more isolated. People who behold other relationships, like your, maybe your family um, or your kids or your spouse, they become everything. You become more and more driven to please other people. So you behold like everything, the, everything is about my kids or my spouse or this, this person or this desire for a partner. If you behold and unto that, eventually you become just driven, you become worn out to drive to please other people. It wears you down. What you behold, you become like. What you behold, you become like. If you behold chocolate, praise God. If you behold chocolate, you become happy. No. So, <laughs> no, there's heresy there. Mark wanted to, I, I couldn't find my Bible, and Mark was going to lend me his Bible, but I said there's too many heresies in the side notes to wait, to wait there. If you behold chocolate, we, no, we won't go there. Okay. Um, Jesus is the only one who is worthy of being beheld, beholding him. When we behold Jesus, we become more content, we become more grateful, we become more loving, we become more at peace, we become whole. Do you know, beholding Jesus is the only way to wholeness. Nothing else that you will behold will bring you wholeness. And this is how transformation works. The first one, you can come to Jesus, but it says it comes from God. It is through God. We are being transformed, this verse says. Those who've turned to God, behold the glory of God, behold Jesus, and they are transformed into the same image. We are changed into that image. We are being transformed. For those of you who are teachers among us, being are being transformed is what you call the present continuous tense. I looked that up. I'm not a teacher. I don't know these things. It's present and continuous. So when's it happening? Now and always. So we are being transformed. It's not, I think when Mark preached on this a couple of years ago, he talked about these changes take time. They're present continuous. It's not after this morning's sermon, you behold for 20 minutes during the sermon, Jesus, and you're a new person completely. No, we are continuously, we are being transformed. We are continuously beholding Jesus, and it's changing us. It's changing us. It's shaping us. This is what the scripture says. We are being transformed. We are transformed, we are made a new creation, and as we behold Jesus, we are being transformed, we are being changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And I love this, this comes from the Lord. Again, if, if God wasn't involved, we would have no chance. Just like the first time when we met Jesus, if God didn't do something, we wouldn't have been transformed. We wouldn't have been made new. Again, as we transform, as we behold him, this is coming from God. It doesn't even come from us. We need God involved. We are transformed into the same image, and this comes from the Lord. In, uh, in this verse, it says, we behold the glory of the Lord. And I thought that's an interesting text, interesting way of saying it. We behold Jesus. And this, this passage is actually a, a reference back to Exodus chapter 33. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip there, or if you're on your phone, just type in Exodus 33. I won't read it all, but 
Paul is saying in the previous parts of Corinthians, he says, you know, Moses, I'll give you a little bit of backstory for those who, don't know this, who may not know the story. Moses is leading the people of God, Israel, out of Egypt. And he's, you know, gone to Pharaoh. And there's a whole long story of this process. But when Moses comes out, he, he's, he wants to meet with God or he asks God to go with him. He says, God, I need you to go with me. And Paul is writing in Corinthians back to this event where, where God meets with Moses. And Paul says, you know, Moses met God. It was beautiful. He came down. He actually wore a veil because he was, after he met God, he was transformed. And he was glowing so much, but his glory kind of faded away, and then he could take his veil off. Um, yeah, he could take his veil off. And in, but now Paul says, but we're, we got this something else going on. We got our veils off already. And we are beholding the glory. We are looking upon God. And we are being changed. And so let's go back to the story just quickly in Exodus 33. Moses um, says to God, he says, God, would you show me your ways? He's got a great task of leading people. He says, God, show me your ways. Verse 33. And then God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So God's, God, Moses saying, God, show me your ways. God says, I will go with you. My presence, God will be involved in this transition. God will do so. I will go with you and I will give you rest. I will bring you to peace. I will bring you to wholeness. When I go with you, you will be at peace. When you behold other things, you will not be at peace. When you behold God, he will bring peace. When I go with you, you will be at peace. It is not in your going with us. That, that we, is it not, Moses says, in your going with us that we are distinct? God, if you go with us, then we will be different, Moses says. And then God says to Moses, I will do this for you. Isn't that great? <laughs> I will do it. I will come and I will make you distinct. And then God, Moses says, God, please show me your glory. Let me see you. Show me your way. Show me your glory. This is what the text in Corinthians was talking about. When we behold God, when we behold his glory... We see him and we are changed. And so Moses asks, God, show me who you are. And God says, okay. Then there's a little discourse. Moses, you can't look straight at me because you probably die. I'm going to hide you. And just, you know, and you can just see my back. Okay. You, you're not, you haven't got big boy pants on yet. We're, we're, we're going to step up slowly. But this is what happens when God appears. God says to Moses, God says, I will show you my glory. I will call cause all my goodness to pass before you. I will be merciful on whom I'll be merciful. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. God begins to describe his goodness. He says, I'm good, and I'll show you. You'll see my mercy and my grace. And then in chapter 34, it says, the Lord descended. This is the moment where God now meets with Moses. It says, God descended and stood with him. And then there he passed before him, and the Lord proclaimed his name. And so God describes himself. This is the occasion where God is showing Moses his glory. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand generations and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What is the glory of God? What do you behold? This is the description of it. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand generations and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is God, 
abounding in steadfast love. The word steadfast love there is used right through the Psalms. It literally means covenantal love, the unbreakable love of God, the love which God has covenanted to us in an unbreakable covenant of love to us, steadfast love. That's the God we behold. He is an unbreakable loving covenant with us. He goes on to describe himself further and he says that he will by no means not punish the guilty and will judge sin. And so this is God describing himself as incredibly merciful who forgives sin but also will have to pay. The sin needs to be paid for. And so God describes who he is. Luckily for us, we know Jesus, who also descended, as God descended to Moses to describe himself. Jesus then descended to come and pay that second half of who God is, to take upon himself the sin that needed to be paid for, the sin that would crush and kill. Jesus descended, and now we behold Jesus. Not only is God gracious and merciful, but also he has come and taken the weight of all sin, which he needed. So God remains abundant in steadfast love and righteous, perfectly righteous. So amazing. This is what the glory is. After this episode, what happens is, in verse 8 of chapter 34, it says, Moses quickly bowed down and onto the earth and worshipped God. Moses encountered God and it just resulted in worship. Something in his heart was changed. He met God and he was changed. He began to worship. He wasn't told to worship. Thank you, Adam, for leading us this morning. Guys, come, let's worship. Please stand. Moses, when, you see, when he saw God, he just fell and worshipped. That's what transforms us when we see God. Moses worshipped and then he says, O oh Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for we are stiff-necked people, that you might pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Even in the Old Testament, God has to go with the people. Still the same. If they, if they don't have God with them, they've got a problem. And this is what God is like. Not only does, he, was, not only does all of it come from God, but also as we transition, as God goes with the people, of, of uh, Israel, they are coming into their inheritance. And so God goes with us. Jesus descended and then left the Holy Spirit to go with us. We behold the glory of God. That's how we're changed. <clears throat> Those are the first key steps. It's from God and we have to behold God. There is a little bit that we can participate in. You know, um, the AA says the first thing you do is just admit that you need help. <laughs> Isn't that a great starting? Just admit, yeah, you know what, I'm not like Jesus. Found that out this week and last week and the week before that and probably find out again this week. I'm not like Jesus. I need help. I, I, want it, I desire to become like Jesus. So we do participate in that way, but it's from God. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul describes this kind of participation that we get in, trans, in transformation. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, in view of the mercies of God, to present yourself. In view of this God, in view of this mercy, in view of the Lord, gracious and compassionate, full of steadfast love, who descended 
to rescue us and then descended again to take our punishments in view of this kind of God, the great extent, incredible mercies of God, in view of all this, present yourself to God. He says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God to God, which is worship. And do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might test and discern what is the will of God. So Paul says we get to participate in three ways here. We present ourselves to God, our bodies. What we do with our bodies is important. Present it to God. Give it to God. In view of this incredible God, let God rule in your body. Let your mind be transformed. Transform your mind. Be renewed in the transform your mind. Change your mind because of the view of this great God of mercy. And that you might know what God's will is. Bend your will. Change your will, your desire. Change it towards God. Change it to align with God's will. It says, be transformed. In view of this great mercy, present yourself to God. Do not conform anymore to the patterns of unforgiveness, pleasure-seeking, independence, comfort-seeking, wealth, independence, other relationships. Don't conform to all these things, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. You know, Ralph Emerson said that when you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you think on something, you give attention to it. In your mind, you believe something. Um, and uh, I met a few this week with the people. Some people are in psychology, and some people have struggled with uh, thought uh, and mental health things. And they've, they've often said this, and I heard it again this week, that the mind is a powerful uh, point of transition, transformation. And this is what Paul is explaining here. Transform your mind. Let it be renewed. Um, Ralph Emerson said, when you sow a thought, you begin to reap actions. So you sow thoughts, you sow thoughts, and they become actions. When you sow those actions, you keep doing that same thing. It becomes a habit. When you form into habits of something, that gets into, he says, becomes part of your character. If you habitually doing something, it becomes, becomes in, ingrained part of who you are. And when you sow a character, you reap what he says is a destiny actually shapes your future, shapes your way. And so Paul's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In another part in Corinthians, he says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. When you struggle with those thoughts of unforgiveness, you take it captive and you make it obedient to Jesus. When you struggle with fear about money, you take it captive and you make it, make it obedient to Jesus. That's a cool little thing, isn't it? When you're going along, you just speak to yourself. I think we say, you speak to yourself, Oi, you're under arrest, thought. I'm... <laughs> And just have a monologue with yourself. You don't have to do it out loud. You can. Out loud helps sometimes. But just take captive. You're going to prison and you are out. You're, you're done. <laughs> and you may have to do it repeatedly. But you take captive every thought. This is how we get to participate. We behold the great God. And we take captive thoughts. And we say, no, I'll make you obedient to Jesus. Because I want to behold Jesus. I don't want to behold you. That's what thoughts are doing. You're beholding. You're thinking and dreaming on things and they're beholding, and you are becoming like them. Present yourself to God. Don't conform. Be transformed. Take captive every thought. You, what you behold, you become. And this is why um, we started off this year with a, a series in the Habits of Grace, which Ben preached for us. You know what the Habits of Grace do? Uh, for those of you who weren't here, maybe go back and listen to the messages. But the habits of grace transform us because they renew our mind. 
when we come to God's Word, we actually begin to realize that He's the center of everything, not me. That's the transformation of the mind. You begin to think differently. That's why it's a habit of grace. It, in, it enables transformation, not because you read, uh, it's not a slot machine, you know, you put in, press the button and your favorite song comes on. It's not quite like that, but it is, it's creating an opportunity to, transfer, to change your mind. So when we, when we read God's Word, when we have time with God, His presence, His peace actually comes. Like Jesus said, my peace I give to you. That changes how we think. We're no longer in fear about other things because we're in the presence of God, which Jesus said is with us always. When we live under that, we actually, it's a habit of grace. We begin to change. That's why the habits of grace change us, because they're getting us to behold God. They're getting us to look again upon God, and we shift, and we begin to shift. So they're not rules for like, you know, read your Bible, pray every day. Isn't there a song someone got? I love that song. <laughs> but they're actually, they habits of grace which change us. They do take time, but rest is a habit of grace. Why? Because it removes from us the burden of the patterns of this world. I have to perform. I have to do this. It actually takes us aside and goes, actually, I'm not, I'm not, I won't conform to all those things. That's why that habit of grace changes us, because we're actually believing, we're beholding God, and we're putting off, like uh, Romans 12 says, we're putting off uh, the things of this world. So, secret tip. Secret tips. If you're taking notes, write it down. If, if, you, if you're not, just try to remember it. Secret tip. If, if you are, unless you are Jesus, you need to transform. Secret tip. Secret tip. Hashtag secret tip. Unless you are Jesus, you need to transform. And this is a constant, lifelong process of presenting yourself to God through habits, through beholding. This is a constant love of we just live in this place of presenting ourselves to God in every way. We are being transformed. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would help us with this. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you and he will uh, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He will come and help you to renew your mind. He will remind you of all that Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit will be with you and remind you. My peace, Jesus said, I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. I don't give peace as the world gives it, i.e., peace that's not lasting, that actually leads to brokenness. I, I give you peace which leads to wholeness. And therefore, let not your hearts be troubled. John 16, 13, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, <clears throat> he will guide you and lead you into all truth. So isn't it wonderful that this transition to be becoming like Jesus is helped along by the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus said will be with us and lead us into these things. We are being changed into the image of Jesus. I want to close with a a little story, and then we're going to move into communion. Perhaps this morning you have not been changed from death to life. You have not met and encountered the person of Jesus. There's still a veil over your eyes. You, you don't understand even what, some of what we're talking about this morning. I'd like to invite you this morning to simply pray. You know, this comes from God. You can't get there. Simply pray, God, would you take the veils off my eyes?
God, help me to see you. God, I want to behold you. If you're there, help me to behold you. I'd love you to pray that prayer this morning. I would invite you. If you're a believer, if you've already encountered Jesus like that, I'd like you to just to simply pray again. Again, this has to come from God. You know? It comes from God, as we read in Corinthians. Transformation comes from God. God, I want to afresh behold you and see you. That's where my joy and my peace comes from. And this morning, I'd like to just invite you to do those two things. As, I, and as I'm telling a story from the Gospel of John, at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus appears to Peter and to John. And uh, it's like a, it's like a 2.0, you know, like Fast and the Furious 1, then they had 2, then they had 3, and I think they're up to, what, 12? Whatever, probably not 7 or something. But this is like this repeat story. Um, Peter, right in the beginning, met Jesus. He's fishing on the ocean. Jesus appears and uses his boat. He says, Peter, can I use your boat? He preaches there, and then they catch a massive amount of fish. And Peter, it's Peter's encounter with Jesus. He comes to the shore. He falls on the sea. He says, I'm, I'm a sinner. Please just leave me, God. He sees himself. He, he has an AA moment. He realizes, I just, I got nothing. And he realizes, God, just de- depart from me. He's encountered Jesus. And Jesus r- kind of calls him and says, no, come, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Follow me is the call. He says, come. And Jesus might be calling you this morning. Come and follow me. And this happens, the, the, the gospel unfolds, and there's a wonderful story there. But at the end, Jesus is crucified, and he, he's resurrected, and he appears again. You go read, it's a funny little story. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Who's coming with me? This is after the, the death of Jesus. So he's going back to his little fishing boat, and, and Jesus appears on the shore. And John says, uh, and he says, children. I don't know why Jesus called them children. He says, children. Maybe they're still learning, right? Maybe they're still changing. He says, children, cast your nets out on the other side. This is 2.0, right? Deja vu. And they cast out, they pull in this huge catch of fish. And, and John nudges Peter and he says, Peter, I think it's Jesus. And Peter, you know, being what he jumps out and, and rushes to the shore, leaves the other guys to paddle the boat. And this is a, an encounter now. It's the second time that they've caught a huge amount of fish. The first time he looked up, saw himself and he just said, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus calls him and says, follow me. The second time, Jesus says, bring some of your fish. Let's have a barbecue. They're cooking fish on the beach. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Which Peter had just denied him three times. Kind of restoring him. And Peter, at that moment, encountering Jesus afresh, beholding Jesus again, and this is where I want to encourage you, if you've had a walk with God and a journey with God, I want you to behold Jesus again. Jesus comes to him. And you know the, the line he uses? He says, Peter, follow me. Same line when he's forecourt. The, the, the goalposts haven't changed. There's no new agenda. Behold me. Follow me. Literally the same call when he first came to Jesus. He says, Peter, I want you to follow me. For a moment, Peter doesn't behold Jesus. He beholds his mate, John. And he says, what about him? What's, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus is like, 
Don't worry about him. It's got nothing to do with you. You follow me. This is how we're transformed. The call of Jesus has come. Behold me. Follow me. Look upon me. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If you've uh, looked away, maybe looked even upon yourself too intensely or upon others, but not beholden Jesus, this morning as we come down to communion, I'll be available. I'd love to pray with you, but the Holy Spirit is with you right now. You can just respond to God and say, God, I want to behold you. I want to follow you. I want to take my eyes off other things, and I want to behold you afresh, Jesus, this morning.